Hello, it's so good to catch up again. Today I'm sharing episode 4 of Don't Be Strangers, a podcast and social experiment for learning to create meaningful connections together via collaborative conversations. My name's Shin Yi, and the way this works is that anyone of any background can apply to come on and chat with me about anything under the sun. The goal is to simply narrow the gap between all of us as fellow humans. Today we're chatting with my Berlin-based Irish friend Claire, whom I met in New York City thanks to the power of YouTube. Highlights of our conversation includes 1. The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin, a personality analysis of how you deal with internal and external expectations, which is very useful for understanding why there can be disagreements or tension. 2. Claire's secret to not burning out as she attempts to turn her photography hobby into a business. 3. Is the 40-hour work week actually effective, productive, and sustainable? 4. What living in Berlin is actually like, and why does Claire adore it so much? And 5. Success defined as doing what you said you do with ease. As usual, I'll include all the timestamps and more in the show notes, so let's jump in. Hi, Claire. Okay, so as, as we prefaced, uh, can you give a little introduction of yourself? Sure. I am Claire. I am a photographer in Berlin, and I'm from Ireland, and <laughs> I already feel like I should have prepared something to say, but... Um... Yeah, that's that's me. I, I do portrait and fashion photography. I also work a part-time job and yeah, just living my best life in Berlin right now. I think um, our background story for how we met was actually really unconventional and really cool because yeah. you reached out to me first, right? So there was a time this when both Claire so and I were... Long ago. <laughs> I know. I vaguely remember, but uh, it was definitely to do with YouTube. I remember this much. <laughs> right, right. So um, we were both active on YouTube. And I remember like you had uploaded like a Hong Kong vlog because that was like part of uh, work travel that you were doing at that time. And then I was also actively probably putting out vlog content because I was traveling quite a bit. But I think I got a message from you on Instagram that was just like, I would love to meet you because um, you seem really cool. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so flattered. I kind of went to check out um, Claire's content, saw that she was also super into traveling. Um, so I was low-key jealous that she was in Asia. <laughs> um, and, then, and then here's a crazy thing. I think like some unrelated time in the future, maybe like at least like maybe around a year later I was in New York City and then I just randomly remembered that Claire happened to be living in New York City at that time and so I reached out to her and I was like hey uh did you still want to meet up because here's an opportunity for us to meet yeah (laughs) that was so nice and it's really random because I don't usually reach out to people online and I think that we're a bit different in that way because I feel like you it seems like you have a lot of online friends and I could be wrong about that but that's what it seems like but yeah, I, I don't really reach out to people online. So I don't know why. I just took a liking to you. And then it worked out for the best. Like, because, yeah, now we're really good friends and have our little creative projects sometimes. And you came to visit me in Ireland and I visited you in Texas. So, yeah, it's it's nice. I didn't know that you didn't typically like reach out to people because maybe I made that assumption because you reached out to me so I was like oh Claire does this all the time like she's just super cool and super outgoing and super (laughs) and like which all those things are true but I was under the impression that she also just reached out to online people all the time (laughs) absolutely not yeah so yeah it all worked out for the best and here we are (laughs) oh I feel so honored (laughs) (laughs) oh 
but the cra- the other crazy thing was like prior to us catching up just a couple days ago um, where I like told you that I had started this podcast and then um, and then you got really excited and wanted to like come on which thank you yeah. so much too um, was that we hadn't spoken or like yeah we hadn't spoken in over two years because the last time mm. that we truly spoke was when I visited her in Ireland and then after that um like she moved to Berlin <laughs> I switched jobs and then uh, started traveling full-time and then quarantine started and then I don't know why it took so exactly. long but we finally reconnected it's just all those things happened I don't know it just it just the two years went so quickly it's crazy how quick or over two years so and then when we start we talked again the other day it's like no time had had passed at all so I think that's when you know you've got a good friend is when it feels like that I completely agree especially because like one of my major character flaws is being really bad at replying to messages Oh yeah, if you're still my friend despite like being despite being ignored essentially, <laughs> then you're a real one. The same thing, so don't even worry about it. <laughs> I was actually thinking that uh, about that. Like you've heard the concept of like you are the sum of your five closest friends. I've like, heard I'm sure that. Yeah. Heard this concept. And I remember like thinking about this and like analyzing it and asking myself, what do my five closest friends say about me? And I was like, the one common thread is that we all suck at replying to people (laughs) (laughs) such a funny yeah thing for it to be the same but they don't have the expectation that you will reply straight away so it works both ways exactly I was I was just gonna say that oh you're reading my mind I'm gonna go ahead and like jump off the conversation topics by saying that I took the personality test um (laughs) yeah so do you want to give some background on what this personality test is and like so I found out about this from uh the happiness project which is a or is it called that no I think it's just called happy uh which is a podcast by this person Gretchen Rubin her name is and uh, yeah, they were talking about this, like the four tendencies. And um, as you know, I like personality tests. I think we both do. So I was definitely curious to see what it was all about. And the way they talk about it is that it's all about how you deal with other people's expectations of you and how you make decisions based on other people's expectations. And if you make a decision because other people have this expectation or you rebel against the expectation and all these different kind of things. And it sounds kind of niche or or like a really specific part of personality. But for me, I found it so useful to understand my own uh, tendency and understanding other people's tendencies as well to because it gives an insight into why people act certain ways and sometimes why there might be disagreements or tension because of the two different perspectives or however many different perspectives looking at it. So I guess that's a little bit of background background about it. I'm no expert in it. It's just I'm a very, very uh, keen, uh, enthusiastic person about the, these tendencies. And I've got everyone I know to do this test. <laughs> Um, we should also explain to like the the four oh, yeah. potential tendencies. I pulled up the the diagram so I could just read them off and not misquote anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but okay, so the four are upholder, obliger, questioner, and rebel. Um, upholders are they just seem like the lawful good type. If you're familiar with the uh, Dungeons and Dragon moral alignment, do, do you know of this? The D and D moral alignment. 
I don't, but okay. <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot of memes on it. But anyways, up, they, they seem like, okay, so the upholders seem like the lawful good because they meet both inner and outer expectations. Um, you have the obligers, which meet outer expectations, but resist inner expectations. The rebel, uh, which just resists all expectations, outer and inner. And then the questioner, which resists outer expectations and meets inner expectations um and so as claire kind of preluded i (laughs) she asked me to take this (laughs) quiz and i personally also adore like personality tests myself um and uh, the the tendency that i got was yours claire i got the same one i got questions okay i was i was maybe gonna guess upholder but it's interesting you got questioner i thought either upholder or questioner so okay Wait, what what made you think that it would be upholder? Because I don't know, you seem so good at doing everything and like meeting all expectations. That's what it appears on the outside anyway. So I'm like, okay, she's got her shit together and she's like doing all of this for like her friends and she's doing all of this for herself. It sounds like upholder, but I also thought you could be a questioner. Um so but then I have a tendency to just think everyone is a questioner because that's how I think. <laughs> So I wasn't exactly sure, but uh, no, question makes perfect sense for you as well. And tell me what you think about it. Like, do you agree? Do you disagree? Yeah, I think I do agree um, because I feel like overall I have rebellious tendencies, uh, which means that I do resist like outer expectations. And I think Mm. um, if anything, the whole discussion that we had right before this regarding like being bad at messaging is a prime example of not being good at meeting outer expectations and like that's something I always struggle with because I constantly think I want to be better at because building connections and everything is so important to me and like keeping relationships um that I want to be better at you know responding to messages in fact for several years in a row that was my new year's resolution is like I have to get better at responding to people but it got to this point where I was just so upset about the whole ordeal and upset at myself um that I decided you know what I'm just gonna put this as a like a known character flaw <laughs> like yeah. everyone if, if you want to be my friend you just let just let it be known like okay. I probably won't be good at responding no one could be perfect and okay yes now that you say that that makes perfect sense an upholder would reply straight away to text you're dead right questioners <laughs> don't yeah that makes perfect sense it fits so well for everyone I feel <laughs> um do you ever get the like one of the challenges of being a questioner is this analysis paralysis where you're overwhelmed because you look at all of the information before making any decision and sometimes like, you can't get enough information do you ever feel that? I definitely do, but it, uh, but fortunately not in every aspect of my life. Um, there are things that I feel like I can be more impulsive and like reckless um, on, and then other things where I do want to know all of the details. Um, a prime example of this is in my work. I'm a web developer and I often get these tasks to like add certain features to the website. 
that I'm working on. And sometimes I'm just like, I don't have all the information to be able to tell you how long this particular task will take because um, while it might be like, add a data table to this page, for example, um, I need to know like, how does the data need to be formatted? Is like the data already ready for me to just like plug in or do I need to go prepare that data? Um, there's just like so many things that, um, that I feel like I need to ask <laughs> before mm -hmm. I can say I can even begin, you know, whether it's like feasible or not. Like typically it is feasible, but like I guess feasible in certain timelines, right? Um, which yeah. is more relevant in like the work field. Um, and you'd rather point, have all that info before giving someone else the wrong timeline or something? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, because I don't want people setting here. Here's something else, like in the in the realm of like maybe the questioner. Because I don't want other people setting expectations on me that I that I can't uphold, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't really? want people to say like, "Oh yeah, you can definitely do this in a day." And I'm like, "Well, you didn't even give me enough information for me to get started today. So how do you exactly. expect it to be done today? You know?" Um, yeah. So. Did you find, I'm really curious to know, since you made all your friends take this, yeah. um, that all of your friends tend to fall in one of the four? Uh, no. So, uh, okay, I've made, I have two rebel friends, which is quite surprising because rebels, uh, they're, they're like the fewest out of the population. That's what Gretchen Rubin says anyway. Um, uh, but And I think that kind of works for me because I have no expectations of other people to do anything really. So the rebels just do their own thing and I'm happy to let them do their own thing most of the time. <laughs> um, and then I think three of the most common, which is not Upholder, the other one, Obliger. I have three Obliger friends. Um, yeah, and my and my mom, I mean, my mom and dad do it. My mom is a <laughs> yeah, I'm obsessed. My mom is an obliger. My dad is a rebel. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's just uh, interesting. Um, yeah, do, I'd be curious do, if you, you'll start getting people to do this test as well and seeing where they land, where your friends land as well. I'm really curious to know if there are any um, if there's any information on the like relationship dynamic between these four? Well, uh, Gretchen says that, oh, what did she say? I think she says that usually two questioners won't, wouldn't be in a relationship <laughs> because like they would question everything and it becomes overwhelming. But I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know. Like she hasn't done, I don't, She ha these aren't like peer reviews reviewed right, scientific sure. studies. Like this is just from her own perspective. Um, sure. And I don't want to, I don't know. I think questions are cool, so I don't want to say that questions can't be in a relationship with each other. But um, that's what she says. <laughs> when, like when she said relationship, did she mean like romantic relationship or just like just like a general like friendship? Oh like... no, she means like a romantic like partnership. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and For actually, sure. so, yeah, it's interesting you got questioner because I you're the first questioner that I is, I'm friends with, so this is perfect. Wait, great. Seriously? Yeah, I don't. I'm oh, not, okay. And questioners, we're kind of rare. Like we're under, we're not as uh common as like the obligers so i don't know i feel like a lot of people don't get why i have so many questions all the time about everything <laughs> like literally <laughs> the questioner it just resonated with me so much i've always been known for like 
asking so many questions in school I remember getting a little certificate for like the most inquisitive mind or something <laughs> which was feels like it was like an award made just to like give this weird kid something to be proud of you know Wait, yeah no now I'm like super curious because you were saying that you thought that Joseph my husband is a questioner too and I'm like oh no this isn't <laughs> Doomed. Well, no, like... it was literally just because of the first question from your podcast that when you asked him a question he was like oh no but <laughs> what is the context of this question I was like okay okay I feel you Joseph I would also ask the same question <laughs> I'm like can you please not turn every question into like 50,000 questions <laughs> yeah <laughs> although I totally completely agree too like context is so important like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh one one last question on this topic how long how long ago did you find out about this slash like when did you start getting obsessed um I knew this I think last summer I think during yeah, last summer is when I found out about it. I think what it is helpful for for me is knowing how other people think. The rebel tag on my dad makes perfect sense because he just does do whatever he wants. And if you ask him to do something, he'll he'll be like, no. Like, and he had um he needs to start wearing sun cream and wear a hat when he's out in the sun because it's bad for his skin. And you can't tell him that because as soon as you tell him something, he rebels against it. So it, all it really does for me is like understanding where the other person is coming from and you can't really change anything about them. And I rebels are particularly difficult to navigate because you can't just can't tell them anything they they rebel about against everyone's expectations including their own right. so there's just something comforting knowing why people think in different ways and that's right. helped me just with with anything even people I don't know as well and I don't obviously know what uh, tendency they fall into but if they go about something a way that I wouldn't go about it, I'm like, okay, well, that's okay. They're a different person. They're probably not looking at it in the same way I am. So good for them. You know, that's good for them. And I will do my own thing. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. And I think that's like what my fascination with um, personality tests too, because I had one of my friends ask me like, what exactly is my, because like, I remember telling this particular friend like oh this other personality test like I found it so insightful and she was like I've noticed that you take a lot of these um what do you hope to like find from them like what is so appealing about them and I know I actually sent that as like one of the questions I wanted to ask you so I almost wonder but I felt like you just kind of answered it unless Mm -hmm. you had more yeah unless you had more kind of uh so I think that's kind of what it is. Also, it's because the reasons I'm fascinated with personality tests, I think, is because I'm so interested in, like, improving myself and self-development in general that I think that a big part of that is being self-aware and understanding how your mind works and understanding all these different aspects of a person's personality. So that's a big reason, I think, as well for me. Yeah, it's kind of I similar think to what I was already that saying. Was, that's exactly why I'm really drawn to personality tests. If my personality has been observed, um, even if it's not, you know, a perfect match to who I am uniquely, 
then it gives me hope that other people have observations about this which I can learn from Mm. like that this has been recorded and therefore I can use other people's experiences to inform my own so this all ties back to like the personal development thing Uh, and this all ties back to you being a questioner because (laughs) other people wouldn't have this idea that they need to know all this information about themselves you know so it's classic questioner behavior (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna start seeing this everywhere you're gonna see other people how they interact uh, and meet people's expectations i think you're gonna start like thinking about the four tendencies maybe as much (laughs) as me i don't know (laughs) did did you have an opportunity to take the enneagram test no i haven't taken that oh yeah i was supposed to take that whoops no but hang on i have taken it but uh before so i'll bring up my results from before yeah, my type is three and um, followed by type two, the helper, and type seven, the generalist. The main one would be the motivator. And I, I think that does fit my personality. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because the way that I learned about the Enneagram is that um, you actually self-identify. So while you can take the test, the mm-hmm. the prop the actual way to do this is just to read all the descriptions and to say mm-hmm. that's the one I am. And I think what's really fascinating about this particular personality um, f- like framework, as opposed to other ones, is that you they believe that you're intrinsically one type for the entirety of your life, but which which people's first reaction might be like, hold up, how can I be the exact same person for the entirety of my life? But the way that it's set up is like the numbers are set up in like a circle. Mm -hmm. And so on the the type three, um, you can either wing um, two or wing four. That means you could be a type three that has type two Mm -hmm. tendencies or type um, four tendencies. So in that spectrum. And then this is a part that gets like, really complicated and you would need to see a diagram to understand but within the circle there are like all these lines that are, mm. that are drawn between the numbers and there are those lines that interconnect the numbers are like you may be type three and then when you are in your growth phase you will tend towards like following the growth line like towards one of the other numbers and then in your regressive phase like when you're the worst version of yourself you tend to have like tendencies towards like the other line where wherever yeah so so you are intrinsically one type for your life but you will have tendencies of this versus that depending on whether you are actually growing and developing yourself or if you are like regressing and Mm. so I don't know I think it'd be really fascinating for you to like kind of do some research into this and like yeah yeah what was yours again uh, mine was type five wing four. But I think the the most interesting part about the entire breakdown of the the Enneagram information is that it has like actionable um, because it because mm-hmm. it also analyzes your growth and like regressive states. It has actions for how you can go towards your growth state, and I think that's the part that's like really life changing for someone who's keen on personal development yeah that sounds great kind of pivoting from personality tests but still along the same line of personal development um what three books or podcasts or personal development resource would you give to your 18 year old self to kickstart her 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 adulthood one thing is a peak it's 
Secrets from the New Science of Expertise. And this is just a book that's all about how you can, uh, I don't know, any hobby or any uh, career or anything that you pick up, how you can do it to your absolute best. Um, And I guess it is focused on like people who want to like completely excel in one industry. Uh, It's all about how uh, the importance of deliberate practice and how actually talent isn't really an important thing. Anyone can excel at anything given, of course, there can sometimes be like physical limitations. uh, But let's maybe like step aside from like sports and stuff, even though you can probably do anything from that anyway. But like when it comes to like mental things and different career paths, artists, um, anything like that, you can excel. But the thing you need is hours and hours and hours of deliberate practice, kind of like the 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell uh, popularized, that you need 10,000 hours to be an expert in something. But um, Michael Malcolm Gladwell is more of just like a journalist that's like writes pop psychology and he kind of just picked that number out of thin air so there's no set amount of hours needed but the important thing is <laughs> it is just a lot a lot of hours and I think I kind of follow that path anyway as I was growing up because I have done a lot of work in photography and now I feel like I'm not an expert in every area of it but I do feel like I have a very high skill level and I am going to keep going down the route of hopefully one day becoming like an expert um so I think I kind of followed that path anyway the other one is a book called The Defining Decade this was written by Meg Jay PhD and um the big thing about The Defining Decade is all about how your 20s are super important and how they're like build you up for the rest of your life uh like success in the rest of your life not just career but also relationships and I think it was when I read it, I think I was about 25 and it was a really important reminder that like your 20s are important because everyone kind of thinks, oh, your 20s, like you can just do whatever, just chill out and have the time of your life. And that is true. Like that's important to like chill and enjoy yourself. But like there's a lot of things you should be doing as well to set you on the right path for like future successes. And I guess it also comes back to the whole thing of like deliberate practice and how if you want to become an expert in something, you've got to sink a lot of time into it. So the 20s are a big chunk of that time that you could be um, using to further your skills. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I wanted to like pinpoint about photography since you mentioned it as like, um, I guess your main outlet that you want to really um, become an expert in, because I know that you you have started to turn your photography into a business. So I'm really curious to know like um, how you've been able to preserve and continue um, with photography when I know that there are so many creatives who when they've turned their craft into a business like have burnt out just because of mm-hmm. like spending so much hours um like over focusing on it and actually i like i recorded another episode of uh, this podcast yesterday with a with a creative who uh, focused in like fine arts and he was saying something really interesting that i've never thought about before um was that he's like a lot of people 
or a lot of creatives tend to look to like their one medium as like their source of end all be all everything. So like emotional uh, satisfaction and then like financial income, et cetera, et cetera. Just like how people may like look for that one person to fulfill every like every need that they have which is not reasonable and that's why you need to have like a strong network of friends and Mm -hmm. uh, that's also why you may not necessarily want to just like say okay my art is like my everything (laughs) um and so anyways going back to the question sorry that was sort of a tangent um but yeah how have you been able to preserve like the fundamental playfulness of photography to like keep you inspired to like keep going back and keep doing it yeah, well, it kind of comes down to what uh, he was saying that uh, you don't use it for absolutely everything, um, and I think like my secret is that I'm is that I'm not too successful at it yet. <laughs> so actually, that's been a really big benefit because it means that I am working a part time job, and my income is mostly coming from the part time job. Um, so that money is paying for my rent. It's paying for like the mandatory health insurance and other kind of bills. And then the photography business side of things. From that side of things, I have Skillshare, which is like just generating some passive income for me. And that's kind of not really specifically me doing my art. So that's also generating money. So I think having it not be, having the actual photography, the act of taking photos and creative side of things, not being what I'm relying on for financial income has been how right now I am just really loving the whole setup. I I still love photography. I'm still excited about it. I want to get creative and do more like fun photography projects. And maybe if it was my whole financial world, that would definitely be different because I would potentially be like having to take any any and every kind of photography job that comes my way, even if I'm not passionate about it or excited about it. Like maybe I would be doing, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some like boring like photography job, like- Like some product photography maybe. <laughs> yeah, like, like some yeah. product photography that I'm not interested in or like interior taking photos of like interior architecture which is not really what my kind of thing I guess it's just anything that I'm not interested in other people might be interested in but I wouldn't be interested in and I don't need to do that because I don't need to like book a certain amount of shoots each month to be able to survive right right exactly so I definitely think that's a big thing and I don't know if that would be the same for you um because you don't you're an artist but you're not making money from your art or maybe or not making your main income from your art anyway right exactly I actually don't make any income from my art um I've tried to be really purist about like separating um like keeping art as something that you can't hire me for although Mm -hmm. I think the last time I took like a commission gig was probably years ago and Mm -hmm. it, it was getting to the point where I would interview the client I would like put the client through a stringent interview process Um, (laughs) but like even before I do that I typically just would create I would um, kind of just say like what my rate is and outright make the rate kind of ridiculous because (laughs) I low-key don't want to be hired (laughs) so yeah yeah I, I really want to keep my art pure and not saying that this will necessarily always be the case because I can't predict like 
who my future self will become. But thus far, um, I really like separating my source of income from mm -hmm. like who I am. I know that a lot of people will introduce themselves as like their, their professional career, but I always introduce myself as an artist, despite the fact that like my source of income and day job is a web developer slash programmer. Mm -hmm. I actually 100% don't identify beyond solving problems as an engineer which I feel like I also do as a visual artist I also feel like I'm creatively solving problems and creatively engineering solutions um just due to the nature of my art and just due to the nature of what art is anyways which I have an entire like other like tangent that I can get off on um, me believing that everyone is as a human intrinsically born both a scientist and an artist like everyone is um, inquisitive curious like wants to solve problems and this just like you know falls into both categories yeah I don't actually feel like I am a programmer from the traditional sense and I don't mm. love it enough to do it outside of work hours so I know you had like a question for me regarding my career yes um my question for you was do you always see yourself as being a programmer or do you think you'll ever switch it up yeah so like when I started my career I had promised myself that I would only that I would work in it for at least 10 years um and I I picked 10 years as like an arbitrary number that was just like oh close like similar to what you were saying earlier with like the 10,000 hours even though that was also arbitrary um 10,000 hours to mastery um I I picked 10 years because I didn't want to always feel like an imposter doing programming because when I started my career I'm like oh I don't know anything and then going through like the career I've I've gone to a point where I'm like yeah I still don't know anything but at least I'm getting pretty good at googling <laughs> solutions <laughs> Um, and I have confidence that I can probably like solve things uh, and I guess it's like the level of confidence has slowly built um, even though I still feel like an imposter most of the time um, and I would say recently I actually completely considered like quitting because I just wanted to pivot to something else um, like more self-sufficient I was thinking e-commerce not because I had any love for it um, because I I hate materialism. So I was like, why would I want to put more stuff out into the world? But I was just considering it because I just liked being tied to the nine to five so much that I was like, I despite disliking the idea of e-commerce, it's like uh, another solution, like a closer solution because it would free me to like work for myself and like to have that liberty to like work from anywhere. But as of late, I actually just decided flat out that I would not uh, would not put more than four hours of work into my actual day job a day. And since pivoting to this, I dislike it less. Uh, by the okay. way, just let me preface this by saying I my coworkers are great. My job is not stressful at all. Like everything about it is basically perfect. What I concluded was that I just dislike trying to work on anything for 48 hours a week. So mm. like for eight hours a day or 40 hours a week, like even if this was art, I would probably come to detest my art. And that's just my personality. Um, so I'm not saying that this is everyone is doomed to like dislike their job or dislike their passion um, if they had to do like 40 hours a week. Um, I just feel like as a creative chimera, I just need to be involved in like lots of different things all the time. And yeah. like having my mind focus on create like solving technical um, computer science problems 
headphones is great. I can do that for like a couple hours a day. But beyond that, I start getting burned out. I start to dislike being at the, my nine to five. But yeah, so capping it has pivoted me back to being like, you know what, this is fine. Like, given that I've been able to negotiate for a remote position, I'm like, why don't I just keep this for as long as possible? And then if and when this career naturally concludes, like whether it's like within the next year um, or like in the next five or 10 years, whenever it naturally concludes for whatever reason, um, I'm I'm ready for the next thing. You will not see me come back and like apply for another <laughs> another yeah. like programming job because I, I think there's just so much to be explored in life that it's kind of um, it's very disheartening and kind of heartbreaking to that society expects you to have a linear career path that you'll do the same thing for 40 plus plus years because not mm -hmm. because I know that everyone is multidimensional right like Absolutely. like even if you love the thing that you're in the career for like you should have the opportunity to go explore your other interests deeply yeah yeah, I completely because... agree with that but that's kind of like something that's kind of fundamental to my own personality or or not personality but one of my interests is this idea of I mean I think you're looking at it in a slightly different way from me because well not necessarily though but you're the way you're speaking now is like the next say five years you're programming and then after that you're going to be doing maybe something else full-time whereas something that I've always like been interested in is like the whole multi-hyphenate lifestyle slashy way of working which is doing multiple kind of jobs at the same time which sounds really overwhelming but I worry when I describe it that it sounds like this whole thing of like hustle mindset and like working 24-7 and I don't think it should be that I just think it should be more like picking and choosing things to work on I guess for me it works really well like doing a part-time like I'm going to be working at a coffee shop for the next while doing that part-time and then doing my photography part-time it's kind of like maybe both adding up to a full-time job anyway it's it shouldn't be adding to like more than a full-time job in a way right. you would love to like I think you would love to talk to the the dude I spoke to yesterday his yeah. name is Arthur and he is um interior design consultant photographer and watercolor uh, painter um and he does all of these in like parallel and he's really good at all yeah. of them he, even though he works a lot I think that he also knows how to like enjoy life but I actually think of um my my day job as a part-time job too well I do have a question about that are you like you're so you're literally clocking in four hours a day and your work don't oh, mind no I, no, I clock in like eight hours a day but I just like and I'm online all the time so if someone like pings me I'll yeah. respond but the truth is that like I don't think anyone can really truly be productive like eight hours consecutively anyways um, I mean I completely I, agree with this I don't want to go into too much detail, but like my last job that I'm not at anymore. So <laughs> no one worry about that if you hear me saying this, but like I would be doing my own personal projects while I was clocked into that job. I had another friend in tech said that he did an experiment where he just like during an eight hour day, he started and stopped his stopwatch like every time he was actually actively doing his work. And then he stopped mm -hmm. it every time that he was like on Facebook or just like, you know, doing random stuff. Um, and he without trying to um, bias the result in either direction like with like he was just like this is my natural day I'm just gonna 
time things and see how it plays out. And he said that he, he found out that he only actively was working on his job three hours um, a day. And I was like, well, then is it really so much of a stretch for me to only put in two to four hours a day, like two hours on a slow day and four hours on like a, oh, I like kind, kind of like a lot of stuff on my backlog, like I need to get stuff done. <laughs> but it makes yeah. perfect sense. We should have shorter working hours because you are more productive like and these like whole exactly these eight hour work days by the end of the work day you're so demotivated you're so tired you're not being productive so it doesn't make any sense having these eight hour work days and like I think the other really detrimental thing too is that like a lot of uh, modern professional jobs are desk jobs and I I feel like those are really detrimental to your health to be sitting so much because I've definitely heard the case for sitting being the equivalent of smoking so it's like you really shouldn't be sitting that much but unfortunately like but due to the nature of my work like I can't really walk and (laughs) go anyways maybe we should uh pivot I wanted to ask you about living in Berlin because like obviously you told me that you adore this but I want like more details like obviously I want to come visit you um sooner rather than later but I want to know like given how much you've traveled and maybe you want to give some context for like how much you've traveled what makes Berlin so special in comparison to like everywhere else that you've visited or lived yeah so the big thing about Berlin that stands out for me I think is the cost of living is so cheap so I mean it's not like crazy cheap obviously there are more cheaper places in Europe but um, compared to Ireland especially, it's very affordable to live in a nice part of town, have a nice apartment here, just to be able to go and do your day-to-day, month-to-month activities and not be spending a lot of money. So this is a big reason, and that also goes in hand-in-hand with the fact that there are so many kind of creative, like oddball young people living here. And I guess you don't really get that so much if the cost of living is more expensive. Like, for instance, in London, I mean, there is definitely... London and Dublin are the big examples I would have, and there's definitely creative people living there. But it's definitely stifled by the fact that it's so expensive to even just rent a room there. So I think that is a huge reason why I I love Berlin. But yeah, I've lived in a few places. So I lived in New York for a year and I've lived at home in Ireland with my parents and also um, with friends in Dublin and also lived in Seville in Spain for three months. So I do have a good idea of the different places. And then when you take something like Seville in Spain, like it is super cheap. So it's a beautiful place to live. But the difference there is that, well, I guess a big thing would be the the language as well. Because in Berlin, like you can 100% work in English. There's just a huge international community that live here that so you can really like be in that community even if you don't speak German and some people take that to the extreme and like never learn German I don't think that's a good (laughs) idea necessarily and I am trying to learn German slowly but surely but it's not like a requirement you can move here without knowing any German and you'll be fine so I guess those are the the things it's like it's an English kind of language you can get by with English language really great creative vibe here and a cheap cost of living 
living. Those are the big things. Ooh, I did not know that about like the cheap cost of living. I thought that it would yeah. be just as expensive as like London or Paris. Well, Berlin is very like counter, like counter establishment for sure. Like it's definitely like there's a lots of young, really left wing people here that um, don't want these big corporations to be like buying up all the apartment buildings and then putting up these high prices. And there is actually a big issue here where this does seem to be happening as it is happening around the world where like these big corporations are buying up apartment buildings and the cost of living is going up and up and um it definitely is getting more expensive here but there's just something unique about berlin it's like there's it's very politically active place and people really are very resistant to that kind of change so i'm hoping that yeah things we can keep it like this cheap uh creative kind of place yeah yeah i'll have to come visit so i can I'm see for myself <laughs> Yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm. These are like the maybe the logical like side of things of what I'm saying why I moved here, but it's just yeah. When you when you come and see it for yourself, you get it. Like it's there's lots of young, interesting people. You can do what you want, kind of like in New York, and the fact that you know no one really bats an eyelid at whatever you do or whatever you wear. And there's also like lots of great parties when it's not Corona times, and lots of nice coffee shops. Yeah, it's just it's just a great place to be. You do so many different kind of creative things, um, but are there any like creative hobbies that you haven't tried yet that you're eyeing up and that you want to give a go? I oh man, well I think I would really love to get into animation. And like I remember when I was super young, I was I had interest in trying like three D modeling and and basically doing the stuff that you would see in like Pixar, or Disney, like animated movies, like actually like creating the models and then doing the rigging and all of that. But um, I I don't think I've ever actually even I've gone as far as downloading the software to create these 3D models, but never actually opened the software to do anything <laughs> with it. Um, unfortunately, um, and then I know of this other program that my sister introduced to me to, and I think it's like Live 2D or something like that, which allows you to create. 2d characters so this is like version of the realm of like anime and like japanese um, um animation style but like mm -hmm. you could create 2d models and then rig them so that they would move like 3d and so i was interested in that because it it seemed like it would be easier than creating the 3d models because it kind of like removes the step um but again i haven't like i know that exists my sister has played with it and like created some um short animations which were really cool and i think my hold back is like my constant uh, devil on my shoulder is like you're not good enough like your illustration mm -hmm. and your art style is just not good enough and not there for you to actually explore this which is very disappointing because like that's the fastest way to kill anything to kill everything yeah. <laughs> um and i should know this yeah so i think it's just that like getting into the realm of animation but like easy animation so i don't want to do like frame by frame even though i have done frame by frame but not smooth like mm. uh, choppy frame by frame animations in the past that and then other things i would love to explore creatively too is full on like music production because i've i've dabbled mm. in doing like small at home uh project primarily uh 
k-pop music videos but this is like back in the day uh, yeah. when i was in that my phase like recreating like k-pop music videos but i would be so cool to like work on like a full production i don't know if like as an art director or um just helping with like set design or you know just like playing a smaller role i think any part of that would be just so cool but of course i would love to be involved at a higher level to to be able to like actually give our direction um mm. or like help with overall styling and like color scripting all that um and then of course this also leads me into like things that aren't as visual but um i've always had interest in like dance and singing and i think i've like dabbled in those just personally like i don't think i've ever really shared as although i did share like two reels recently of like me singing but i made sure to put the background to put the music as loud <laughs> as my voice so that, yeah. <laughs> so that yeah which is i don't know i just want to get used to putting out things that aren't good that aren't perfect mm. because i want to kind of normalize the process of becoming good i like that you've got but. lots of lots to to get working on you're not running out of any ideas when it comes no, to not at pursuits. all <laughs> not at all and there's stuff that i still want to do like in terms of just like the media that i already have some experience in so like a lot of i want to do a lot of mixing between photography and illustration um and because I do photography and just like casual photography off my iPhone or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, typically, but I want to mix them, like draw over them, but not over draw, not only draw over them. I've had ideas of using like the boomerangs from Instagram to create like short animations, like draw over those oh, videos. Cool. Yeah. Um, and then, I don't know, I definitely have like lots of ideas, I, but I do get analysis paralysis in terms of like trying to decide what to get started on. Like, do yeah. you suffer from this? Like, you have there's, you have so many interests. You're like, I don't know what I want to do right now. Given yeah, that I sometimes have a little bit. I want to ask you the important question, though. So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I want to know, like, how do you define a stranger? And at what point do they transition from being one to not? Uh, for me, a stranger is someone that I know nothing about. I don't know anything about them. I don't know their name. And I think... They would transition to not being a stranger when I find out this information. It was kind of like how you described it in the first podcast episode that I listened to that I think, um, yeah. So it's that like when information is shared and you kind of find out something about the other person. But I do think that you, there are people that I know online, for instance, that I like follow, say on Instagram, that they wouldn't be strangers to me. If I saw them in the street, I would know exactly who they are and be excited to maybe introduce myself to them. But obviously I would be a stranger to them because they know nothing about me. So I don't know if that's a, that's not really a succinct definition, but that's kind of an idea of, of what I think a stranger is versus yeah. what it's not. One of my friends actually sent feedback on the episode and they said that uh, he thought that th what the term that we were looking for in terms of like the one-sided relationship mm. in, in like an influencer slash like celebrity scenario is called parasocial relationship have you ever yeah, heard I've this heard that, yeah okay, okay i don't think i've heard this term before so i was like oh okay interesting i'll have to like look into it um, yeah it is an interesting one like because you really think that you know them and it's hard for me to remind myself that i don't know them but you know so much about them from what if they're like say a vlogger they put so much of their life out there that yeah you have a good idea that 
of what they're like, I guess. Right. And like how they might generally respond to something, at yeah. least in the context of like their vlogs. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Of, of like, obviously, they don't show everything. But yeah, so I wouldn't say that kind of person. Like, there's just one or two people that I really, really do follow online that I really like or admire, I guess. And they wouldn't be strangers to me, I don't think. Something that you mentioned in your definition was like the the name aspect. Like you feel like you need to know someone's name for them to not be a stranger. I mean, not all the time necessarily, but probably most of the time. I think I more agreed with what you were saying than what your husband was saying in that first episode because it needs to be more than just, there needs to be some sort of information passed from one person to the other. It can't just be like saying hi. I feel like that's not really information. Like Exactly. Although I guess you could extract from that interaction that this person is friendly and open. Yeah, that, but still. You know, that they're willing to say hi to you, but like. They're definitely still a stranger for me right. anyway. And mm-hmm. it's it's not even also about like how often you see someone because there are people say in my local supermarket that I see maybe once a week. So I would recognize them in the supermarket, but actually I probably wouldn't recognize them if I just saw them out of the street when they're out of that context. So those right. people I still would say they're strangers because I've never really spoken to them apart from just saying, you know, thank you and that kind of thing. Something else interesting to note too that came up in my um, recording from yesterday um, when I brought up the the question was that the my co-host Arthur was saying that he defines someone who is not a stranger as how comfortable you are with said person Mm -hmm. and so um until until someone can make you feel comfortable they're a stranger um and then also we were discussing the topic of how generally the term stranger is negative and then he kept like bringing up the phrase like stranger danger (laughs) he was like that's like but like it was really interesting and I would love to ask you about this that he pointed out that like he never consciously uses the term stranger and I thought about it I was like you're right I don't think I actually ever use this word like I never really look at someone on the street and think oh look that's a stranger um, I think like, oh, that's a person who also lives in this neighborhood or that man is walking his dog. Yeah, I would say I'm the same. I can't really think that I would think that someone's a stranger, even though if you asked me, I would define them as that. But I wouldn't like think about it and be like, oh, there's a stranger. <laughs> there's a strange yeah. man walking. <laughs> I don't know. Why do you think that is? So that's a hard one. I know. I was definitely. I love that conversation. Thinking, I would be so curious to meet someone who actually uses that term. Then, like, mm. not even in their spoken language, but in their mental, like, internal mm. dialogue. If if they actually use that term, right? Yeah. Um, so. Well, you're going about the right way to find out because you'll be asking <laughs> this question to everyone. So. you'll find someone I'm sure but no definitely not me yeah I feel like that would be it seems like a very closed off way to look at the world if you're looking out and thinking that person's a stranger that person's a stranger maybe like my friend group is just like very all very open-minded people maybe yeah okay well one more I would like to find out from you is 
you definitely have a lot of side projects, I would say. So how do you find the motivation and also just the time to keep them up over the long term? Right. So I do have a lot of side projects. Not all of them are creative. Um, so for example, my language learning ones, I have been learning Mandarin um, on and off for like over 10 years now. It was my mother tongue, but then like moving to America at such a young age, I lost it naturally, especially since my parents are also fluent in English. And then I think they just have a tendency to speak to us in English because their environment is in English like you know the TV in the backgrounds in English like all that stuff um so that and then more recently in time trying to learn Spanish so those are like two side projects it's like language learning um and then of course I have all my creative ones which is just like photography um I'm trying to get more into writing and then now this podcast uh drawing which I always want to make more time for but can't convince myself to sit down to actually do um and then um you know all the other stuff but in terms of creating space and time for everything, I think that naturally there will be one or two projects that just captures my attention more at any given time. And so naturally everything falls away. And I've, over the years of being an adult, I've given myself more slack, allowing myself to explore the things that interest me at any given time. So despite the fact that I have interest in all of these creative outlets and language learning and socializing, et cetera, et cetera, if for some reason I am feeling this burning desire to like consume a lot of like Mandarin media at this moment in time, then I won't give myself a hard time for, you know, letting my podcast go on the wayside or anything like that. Like just not being so strict about deadlines in general because I when I was younger like being a type a personality by nature I remember like being overly ambitious and being like I want to be fluent in Mandarin in a year or like something ridiculous like that mm -hmm. and uh the sad part was that was not actually a made-up like ambition I actually did have <laughs> like did yeah. say to myself I wanted to be fluent in a year um and then just just apply that sort of ambitiousness to every aspect of my life and just imagine how miserable I was and so like mm -hmm. I was just always like upset that I wasn't like hitting my goals because my goals were unreasonable and then my friends would ask me like like these deadlines are arbitrary you know and I'm like yeah well yes they are arbitrary but they're not any less real um and maybe like because I want to uphold my own expectations like always uphold my own expectations mm -hmm. that it hurts more to like uh to not be able to meet my own expectations than to like not be able to meet someone else's expectations <laughs> yeah so um so yeah, I think like kind of just having some maturity over time and some experience, just being like, if this is what you are very interested in right now, it's making this podcast, then it's so totally okay that you don't spend so much time like language learning or so much time doing photography or sketching. It's, um, you should just always do whatever feels best or right at that time and not expect to be able to to basically <laughs> take like the 24 hour clock and then like how many interests do you have six divide that like yeah. divide the clock by six and dedicate like you know exactly those hours yeah. and that time slot to each and everything because like maybe you just don't feel it on that Tuesday you just don't feel like studying German or like yeah. and, and you shouldn't beat yourself up for it because you're not going to as effectively learn German when you are feeling a resistance to learning it 
right so right so like I'm not gonna feel as effective uh drawing when I'm like upset that I'm not spending more time on my podcast because I want to, I would actually rather be working on my podcast but I I'm like no I already blocked off my my calendar <laughs> like I need to practice sketching right now like yeah exactly okay so. I'm glad <laughs> or I appreciate that because I really thought you were going to say something like yeah I have this set time to do it this set time day to do it or something <laughs> but no it's more just like whatever you feel like which I think is a good way to look at it and maybe I need yeah. to look at my own things that way more instead of putting so much pressure on myself or like, why am I letting that side project, you know, why am I not working on it all the time or like prioritizing it more? But maybe it's just not a priority for me right now and it'll, I'll come back to it in the future. I'm just trying to make life easier on myself because I, I saw yeah. this one definition of success um, in one of those like self-help books and I absolutely adored this definition and they defined it success as doing whatever you said you would do with ease. So for in the context of like working out or something, uh, if you can go and work out consistently without any resistance, you're not like waking up and being like, oh, should I go to the gym today or not? Like, you know, you know, you just like, get up and you go and do it and you enjoy it or whatever then that's success you successfully have a workout routine or like having a a business of any sort and being able to show up and do it with ease and whether you want to add like the financial aspect to it or not like if you have no tensions over it and you're able to like just run your business with ease Um, regardless of like what actual objective amount of money you're making it's like you are running your your business successfully you know Um, because it's easy so I want to live life like with ease I like that I swear that Claire is my secret twin sister because sometimes we still read each other's minds even when we haven't spoken in over two years do you have any friends like this Please feel free to shoot a DM or leave a public comment and start a community thread at Don't Be Strangers on Instagram to share your thoughts about the conversation or any feedback you'd like to give. Speaking of which, since starting to introduce each of the co-hosts as per feedback from episode one with my husband, I'd love to know if it's been too extra that I both introduce the guests and ask them to introduce themselves. How do you feel about this? And thank you for the overwhelming support I've gone thus far because my initial goal was to produce five episodes so I could get a feel of whether this was a project I wanted to keep long term. And I think as of right now, I have scheduled enough conversations that I can produce 10 episodes. So truly, thank you from the bottom of my heart. And this is your reminder that you too can apply to co-host an episode. And if you know anyone who would appreciate these conversations or love making friends and building community, it would be amazing if you could share the podcast and help make a few introductions. And speaking of introductions, you can say hi to Claire at ByClaireP on Instagram, where you can find her gorgeous portrait photography works. And remember, don't be a stranger. I can't wait to chat again soon.